might have heard that the Talica boys were gonna play some heavy shit tonight. All right, welcome to another Metal Tales on the Road. I'm here with Matt from Minneapolis. We're going to be talking about the Rock and Rio gig in Vegas, where he was on stage with the band. Amazing. If you want to be on a future episode of Metal Tales, you can join us on Patreon. It's real simple. It's real easy. It's real affordable. It's basically like buying me and Ethan a cup of coffee a month, which is what Matt has done so generously. So thank you for the support, Matt. First of all, I just want to say thank you for being a patron. And uh, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Gotcha. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to connect uh, and share some Share some metal tales. You were telling me right before we started rolling that you uh you had to get getting the kiddos squared away, which I feel like is a a hallmark of many Metallica fans of a certain age. Is is uh who would have thought? Imagine telling our teenage selves like one day you'll still be as passionate as you ever will be about the band, but you'll be trying to fit your kids' diaper and feeding and entertainment schedules into all that. It's kind of wild, right? <laughs> It's all good as long as they have a Metallica onesie, so all good. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little talisman, isn't it? Well, so where does it start for you? You're, uh, you're a dad, you're up there in, in Minneapolis. When did you become a Metallica fan? So, uh, you know, I've always been a big athlete my whole life. Uh, you know, played hockey and football and baseball. Um, and I think it started somewhere along those days, you know, getting ready for a game, putting on Sandman, hearing Mariano Rivera charged out of the out of the bullpen. And, um, you know, I definitely was well aware of it, but didn't really become a huge gung-ho fan that I am until um, seeing my first show with a professional baseball player friend of mine, Chad, in um, Albany, New York in 2008. Interesting. So for you, the, for you, it's like, you know, rock music and aggressive music has a long history with sports, getting people pumped up. It's what do, what do you think that connection is about competitive sports and using music to almost set the set the tone for that kind of thing it's always been you know wrestling and football games baseball games yeah you know that's a that's a great question um you know it just speaks to people i think right away it's the beat it's the uh the intensity like you said the focus the you know it's i don't know what it is about it but it definitely gets you in the zone um gets you in the mindset to be aggressive and focus and um you know kind of lay it all out on the line um it's always been a big part of my pregame routine and um, yeah, something about it just really speaks to me and speaks to a lot of athletes, I think. So what got you going to that first concert? Was it your buddy just sort of, you knew of the songs because of your baseball stuff, but did he kind of drag you there and then you had your eyes open to the power of it or what was the deal with that? Yeah, um, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. You know, I, I'd always been a big fan. Um, he's been a huge fan. His dad introduced him to it um, back in Akron, Ohio. He, uh, his dad I think he was playing basketball when he was a kid. He said he was 10 or 11, 12. His dad said, I'm to make you a man, put on Metallica. They had a weight room in their basement. And for him too, it was sort of along the lines of getting strength training and getting strong. And that's what they did. They listened to that. And I kind of set him on his path. And uh, after I interacted with him, um, we played together in the Atlanta Braves organization. And um, it really came together for me. He said, you know, there's a show. We were training up in Boston in the off season. 
and the closest one was in Albany, New York. So um, he just knew we had to go. So he brought me along and it was, it was eye-opening for sure. So would that have been the, was that like world magnetic? Were they touring death magnetic? It was. Yep. That was, that was the first, uh, it was the first time I saw him, but it was world magnetic. Exactly. So for you to get bit by the Metallica bug at that show, what does that look like for you afterwards? Are you buying all the albums? Are you kind of doing the deep dive on the internet? What What is the transition? <laughs> I'm imagining like a, a caterpillar and a chrysalis and then the beautiful Metallica <laughs> butterflies about to emerge. What does that transition look like for you at that age? <laughs> yeah, it certainly was a, uh, quite the metamorphosis. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I definitely had been exposed to the main Metallica songs, the main Metallica riffs. Um, my buddy Chad definitely introduced me to more of their discography, uh, like back in the day, some of the older stuff. Um, but really for me, it was just kind of eye-opening to go back and dig into some of the older stuff and realize, man, these guys have so many more amazing songs than just the ones that you hear on the radio. And um, still kind of amazed at the songs I listen to that to this day, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how awesome that song was. It just keeps kind of changing and morphing and evolving, you know, even even as I've been a fan for the last 13, 14 years, pretty, pretty hardcore. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have, is there like an era of the band that you sort of gravitate towards that sort of feels like yours in a way? Um, you know, I don't think there's a specific era, honestly. I think I kind of, kind of runs the whole, uh, the whole gauntlet of them. Um, I'm a huge Creeping Death fan. I think that's kind of been one of the songs that spoke to me most, um, while I was playing baseball and playing professional sports. But someone the other day even just asked, like, what's your favorite Metallica song? And I was like, there's no such thing as your favorite song. There's like a list of 10 or 20 songs that I could probably give you. And somewhere along the line, you know, those are my favorite songs. It just kind of depends on the day, the mood, the whatever's going on in your life at the time. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I talked to a guy earlier today who also got into the band actually around that time, around 2007 and 8. And uh, it's the same deal. It's like, you know, some bands you get into, and like the band Ghost, for example, this is an example that occurs to me. I could probably tell you three of their songs that I like a lot. You know, I've got four of their records and I kind of have an idea of them. But Metallica really is just one of those bands where they have like 20 of those. It's crazy, you know? Um, Some bands, you know, bands spend their whole careers just trying to really get one of those songs that does that to people. But Metallica just really has a whole bunch. Uh, It's amazing. And so I'm thinking about you in 2008, finally seeing the power of it. And I'm thinking about you getting all the like old school true stuff. I'm thinking about you listening to Saint Anger for the first time. I'm thinking about you listening to Load and Reload and like S&M and just processing because their career, like it's, it's a pretty storied career, you know, a lot went on in those 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to see their evolution too, as a band. Um, and, you know, even along the lines of that, just sort of digging into their history. Um, I definitely credit my buddy Chad for, into the history and he sort of helped me walk along through that um i remember watching some kind of monster with him and like kind of digging into a lot of those days as well as you know the newer stuff as well yeah it's it's kind of amazing to see their their metamorphosis and like like you said it's amazing that they have so many great songs that some bands you like look for one or two great songs but really i mean for them to have that longevity yeah and also that reach through all the different generations kind yeah. of at this point it's it's super cool i mean i've got my i've got my five-year-old listening to metallica and my daughter learning how to do uh rock horns now yeah, in the back yeah. of the car so you know trying to get them going too got to pass it along did you i'm thinking about you as a as a professional athlete watching some kind of monster were there aspects of that that you resonated with i mean phil Tao was a you know, I, th- I believe he was like a sports 
they brought him in because he helps resolve conflicts on teams, kind of like a team builder. Was there any of that that you recognize as like a team part of a prof- team at that level? Were you like, oh yeah, I, I can see all of these different elements from that kind of experience? Yeah, yeah, totally. I guess I never really put that together, but yeah, I mean, hundred um, percent. A lot of the teams that I was on, you know, we'd have like a team psychologist or a, a team. Um, someone who would you know be there to help out a lot of the organizations started getting more and more into the mental side of sports too. But I mean, even just you're around a team for so long, you travel with them, the minor league seasons, I was you know in the minor leagues for five years and you know, you're with guys so often, so close for so long in the locker room and the hotel that like guys get on each other's cases. Right. And guys, you know, you got to find a way to focus and become a team, but there are issues that pop up. So yeah, I mean, it is kind of like their, their headquarters in a way is sort of like, their locker room. It's like their, their space, their way to uh, fight through and get through all the different things that they're going through. Did you see the documentary Malice in the Palace about the Detroit uh, Pistons? No, I haven't yet. Um, I need to see, I need to see that. I've heard it about that a couple of times now. I wasn't really paying attention to basketball then, but I guess there was this huge fight that happened between some of the players and some of the fans and it's pretty famous, I guess, brawl, but one of the interesting things is all centered around this one basketball player named Ron Artest, who I guess was like, he was a great player, but he was also kind of a troubled dude. And he traveled with a personal psychologist on the road. But mm-hmm. I guess he was such an asset to the team that yeah, I just feel like at a normal job, if you're taking your therapist to your job, your your employer is probably like, let's why don't you get healthy first, then come to work. But, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it is, it is amazing, though. I mean, teams really focus on that that mental aspect of the game now. And um, you're, you're not going to perform well if you're not, you know, in your mental right mind too. Um, so it seems like there's been plenty of, plenty of musicians and artists throughout the years that have been able to operate on a really high level, even if they personally or uh, otherwise were not maybe at the top of their games. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Um, this is definitely prevalent in the NBA when you're comparing Jordan to whoever, Bill Russell or LeBron now to Jordan. I, I wonder what if it's like in baseball, but. You can't. You almost can't even make those comparisons because there wasn't that emphasis on mental health. On there wasn't access to like modern medicine. There wasn't access to like even training equipment. Is that the same deal in baseball? Yeah, um, it's definitely taken off a lot in the past, you know, number of years where the training has really evolved and become a big part of the game. And you know, you're not going to make it unless you're training yourself physically and mentally. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing how things have just sort of gotten so specialized, and you got to really be on all levels to really take off. You must have been pretty good to make it that far. I mean, that's no joke. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was it was a fun ride. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of as you go up the levels, fewer and fewer people will kind of make it from high school to college, college to the pros. Right. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I was able to have that experience and um, you know, have the time on the road while I was playing. We kind of my buddy Chad and I picked up guitar. Like, like I think you said in one of the last interviews, it's like you sort of learned Metallica by learning guitar in a way too. Oh yeah. Learn guitar, I should say, by learning riffs and learning songs. And that's exactly what, how I did. And he did. It's pretty funny how it works. They have a good blend of, I'm thinking about you loving creeping death the same way as me when I was a kid. And they have this cool blend of, I mean, obviously it's some of the most complex metal ever made at a, at that level, especially you talk about injustice for all and stuff, but there, they did have a way of building these little songs that you could play when you were first picking up a guitar and it would sound like Ride the Lightning. You know, you could go, you could play that die part of Creep because it's not that hard. Or you could play For Whom the Bell Tolls and almost like you could just, it just opened those doors where you're like, oh, I could probably actually do this. And it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. They're not that challenging to pick up. Um, and you feel like you're playing the song and it really motivates you to keep going, you know, try to pick up a, a solo or pick up a different piece of it. Um, it's, it's amazing how it, it provides that gateway, um, yeah. even as one of the best bands ever. So you mentioned that you had a buddy that worked for a booking agent and that was kind of the way you got into this show that we're going to talk about, but did you get to go into any other shows between the 2008 show and this one we're going to talk about? Yeah, I was fortunate to hit up a number of them. Um, let's see, after the Albany show, um, I was able to see the big four in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, That was, I think, one of the next ones I saw. Um, I saw them in Minneapolis at Target Center um, inside the stadium tour. I saw them at U.S. Bank Stadium, the football stadium that they opened up. Um, I saw them in St. Louis at Bush Stadium, where I'm actually from originally. And then I believe Rock in Rio was uh, one we're talking about. Not in that order, but around the place. So was that, when you saw them at Bush Stadium, was that on the Worldwide Tour? Yes, I believe it was. I was at that show also. I was in the Snake Pit for that oh, show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. Nice. Yeah, that was with, uh, like, was it Logic? It was local H and local, yeah, local H. Sorry, yeah, yeah. And actually, Volbeat. Um, I saw them for the first time in Albany, and when I heard them, I was like, "Man, these guys are gonna be good." And they kind of blew up shortly after that. If they hadn't really before that, it was it was cool to see them. I've become a big fan of theirs as well. Yeah, it can't hurt anytime you're opening up for however many people Metallica puts you in front of, just tens of thousands. All right. You know, I know it's crazy. It's got to be a huge break for those dudes. So this gig, the reason I was asking about the CAA connection was, you know, it's always helpful to have somebody that's that can help you get into stuff. And was that mostly been the way you've been able to see the band? There are definitely. Well, we we bought a lot of tickets, but it for sure helped out. There were a couple times where like we bought tickets, and then he was able to score us like for this rock and Rio show. We had uh, sound sound booth passes, awesome. sort of facilitated this whole thing. So, um, another time, I think we were just on like a general mission ground floor for another show. But yeah, they each sort of have their own little excitement built into the show. Every show is its own little adventure. It seems totally. But yeah. That one for sure was the, the biggest, the biggest, uh, block I would, in the world, I would say, um, having him actions and some pulse the way that it all went down. Yeah. So I'm guessing this was like a destination show. Like you fly in, it's Vegas. Vegas is fun. Uh, were you, did you have any interest in seeing the other bands, Lincoln Park, Deftones, Sepultura? Definitely. Um, it was awesome. The show, like even even the other bands, they were really good too. So he, uh, like Stevie Vai, I saw play. Oh, really? I was out there. Um, or maybe he was just sort of making a guest appearance with one of the other bands. But Deftones, Lincoln Park, I was always a big fan of growing up. Um, probably more so of them than Metallica in high school. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that show, that whole festival was awesome there's a lot of good stuff out there so how do you end up being one of these fans that ends up on the stage this was the tour where they yeah. were inviting how many how many fans would they invite up there like 50 or something it was crazy it literally was the the luckiest thing and, and honestly had i not had video or pictures i still probably wouldn't believe it happened um it was just surreal so we were in the sound booth um they were playing king nothing i remember in the first couple couple songs and all of a sudden this woman came up to us and was like hey we need more people on stage and i was like me like what are you talking about <laughs> all of a sudden she takes me and my buddy chad um our other friend who was actually who was the one i was telling you about with the booking agency he was actually already on stage behind there because he had gotten the stage passes for himself um 
and you know we were totally happy in the sound the sound booth uh and all of a sudden she's like we need more people on stage and we're like all right <laughs> she walks us straight up toward the stage walks us around the back of the stage we like the tour buses we see the security guards they stop us and they say uh, <laughs> all right if, if any of you guys fuck up we're gonna pull you off the stage <laughs> and we're like uh no problem man we got this and they let us up onto kind of had all they had up there was um sort of like basketball stands like behind them um and i think what they were trying to do was they weren't sure how many people they would need to make it sort of a full look because it was one of the first times i think they'd tried that and so they were saying that they just needed more people to fill it out and so we spent from king nothing on we spent the rest of the show up there behind them looking out over a hundred thousand people or how many people were there at the rock Rio festival it was it was uh Needless to say, it was the best experience. I, I love the idea that like all the people that bought the tickets for that, they probably got a very nice speech about like, listen, here's the etiquette, here are the <laughs> rules. And then when they bring you knuckleheads up, they're like, they, you got the short, sweet version, which was, if you fuck up, you're out. Bye. <laughs> exactly. We were not going to fuck that up. I can tell you that. <laughs> I was reading some of the notes about the show and that it's interesting. They pulled you up during King Nothing. This is the first time they'd played that in four years. Nearly the first time in 17 years they'd performed it in Vegas. I asked someone else. I think I asked the guy that I you mentioned that we I, I talked to someone recently. Um, the Last Metal Tales uh, dude who uh, who was at this show. And why don't you? Why don't they play King Nothing more often? What do you think? It's just obviously a great song, crowd pleaser, great riff, short and sweet. What are your? What's your? What's your? You know, uh, Sherlock Holmes theory. I, I mean, I 100 percent would be for that. It honestly. For me personally, too, it's actually one of my favorite songs. Um, in high school, our football team used to like gather in the locker room before, um, in the weight room, actually, before a game. And for some reason, that was the song they would put on. And that was like the song that really got me going for a long time there. Wow. Um, Sports-wise, I don't know why they don't. Um, it's a, it gets yammed. They should, they should really bring that back more. You were in a really good position on stage with them to tell them uh, in a quiet moment, <laughs> hey, guys, play that more. Yeah. Yeah. What did it hey, sound like? Way. What did it sound like up there? I, th did they give you a way to hear the show? Because from what I understand, they're on in ear monitors. There aren't a lot of amps on stage. Did it sound weird? It sounded weird a little bit because you could actually like hear the drum in front of you. Like yeah. Lars was, you know, fifteen feet from us. Yeah, um, that was a weird part. I, for some reason, however they had it set up, I, I felt like I was hearing it fine. Yeah. but I may have just been playing it in my own head uh as they played a song in front of me i'm not sure but um it was it was awesome i've got some a lot of footage from it and it actually sounds pretty decent from back there i was surprised so they they allowed phones and recording from back there i guess so yeah they didn't yank me off the stage so i guess i guess i'm glad they didn't do that did yeah, you did you get us. to go and uh tap chat on the shoulder and be like hey i made it like was he surprised to see you <laughs> Yeah, actually, that was funny. Yeah, it was my buddy Joe who was already up there. And, okay, uh, Joe. Once, yeah, once Chad and I got up there, we he was a little bit over from us, and and then it was just, I mean, that was the craziest reunion ever. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, you made it!" <laughs> and so we got pictures all together, just with the band behind us and all the fans and zip lines going by. It was it was absolutely memorable. Did you have any interactions with the band members? Um, you know, they, they came by, like Lars kind of did this thing where he, like you said, spits the seltzer on people. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. a few people got doused. Uh, um, it was funny because they were, they were playing around with us because I think it was pretty new to them or they hadn't really played around with that concept before. So 
um, they would walk around behind, um, face us and just get real up close. I remember like Hetfield came up really close and just started doing rocking out right in front of us, like no more than a you know, person or two in front of me. Uh, same thing with all the other guys too. They were, they were interested in kind of coming around the back and messing around with people and then hopping back in front of the stage. It was, it was really cool to see. It's almost too much to handle for me to think about. Like, to think about being that close to them while they're playing some of these songs. It's too surreal or something. It really, I honestly, like I said before, if, if I didn't have footage of it and if I didn't have pictures, I almost wouldn't believe it. <laughs> kind of like I blacked out what happened. Yeah. Um, my, my buddy, I have a video of us walking around too from the sound booth all the way around to the front. Actually, I have a, like, it's like a six minute, not six, but whatever, three minutes video from sound booth walking all the way around. And the whole time, I think I'm saying to my buddy, I kind of just was so excited. I was like, dude, I think we're getting kicked. I think we're getting kicked out. I think we're getting kicked out. He's like, dude, shut up. You're fine. Shut up. I was like, dude, I think we're getting kicked out. And just the whole time, I, I like must have lost my mind and said it about 15 times before we finally got on stage. <laughs> Did you really think you were going to get kicked out? I think we were all sort of just toying around at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Like there are other people there that were, you know, we were super hyped up and I think we were just messing around with people at that point, but it was, that yeah, was something else. Well, so when they came and got more people from the sound booth to fill it out, how many people did they grab? You, you and your buddy, Chad, how many people would you say filled it out? I would say maybe it was another, another 20 or so. I, I, I feel like it was probably about 50, 50 or 60 people maybe um, that were on the stage there. It could have been a little bit more, but it wasn't. It wasn't much more than that. Um, looking at the video of it, I try to find myself on the different videos and find my buddies. And yeah, it's 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 crazy to see. Did you feel self conscious, sort of like rocking out and enjoying singing along with the concert, knowing that the <laughs> crowd could see you? Uh, you know, at the moment, not at all. I think I was just too pumped up to even feel any sort of stage fright whatsoever. <laughs> it was awesome. It's a pretty awesome set list too, especially for a festival. Usually when these bands play bigger shows like that, they kind of stick to what they know works, which they did. They played their Sandmans, their Nothing Else Matters, for Bells, One, Turn the Page. Mm -hmm. But they also played Disposable Heroes, Lords of Summer. You got Cyanide. You got Creeping Death, Blackened. I mean, this looks like a great show to see from that point of view, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was it was an epic show. They're all memorable in their own different ways. How do you come down from an experience like that? You're with two of your closest buds. You're seeing your favorite band. You get invited to be on stage. You're in Las Vegas. Was that like a <laughs> uh, was that like a stay up till the sun comes up kind of evening? Yeah, either that or I, you know, honestly, I was just I left it all out there. We were just drenched in sweat probably after, and just so pumped up. I can't remember what we did. Honestly, I was just too excited about what happened, <laughs> what happened. But yeah, it's like, once you have that, it's like, where does it go from there? Like, how can we have a better Metallica <laughs> totally. experience? Um, but then, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Like, even so we saw, we did actually, I went and saw them, the S and M two show. And you know that, I mean, all of these shows, there's something special about everyone. Right. I mean, even, even from going from the Las Vegas experience to, to that, I mean, you just, you can't really put into words. It's just, everything has its own, it's own unique. Any fun. Did you go to both nights of SNM too? We saw the second night only. Uh, it was that, that like fifth, fifth, fifth club, fifth yeah, member. Right. Um, show. That was awesome. Any takeaways from that show, especially knowing that not soon after James would be going back to rehab? Were there, was there a gravitas about it that was palpable? Yeah. You know, like I was thinking back on that, you know, after, cause it wasn't, it was pretty soon after that happened where like the announcement came out. Yeah. 
And, you know, thinking back, there are like some moments in the show where you're just kind of wondering, like, you know, what is going on in his mind at that point, right? Like, when he did Unforgiven 3 yeah. and just saying that, like, just him in the band, you're like, man, like, there's obviously some, some demons and some things going on at that point that um, made it even the more powerful, I think, yeah. when I look back at it. Um, I'm glad that he seems to be doing better and I can't wait to see them again. Let me ask you this about being on the stage for the Rio show, the rock and Rio show, I should say, not Rio. Um, when they went off for the encore, you guys just stayed on stage? Yeah. So that had to have felt a little weird. <laughs> it's just you guys up there. <laughs> That's true. I guess at that point, everyone was just cheering for us. It wasn't in the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys were the stars for a minute. Okay, so I was curious exactly. about that. Um and then going back to more current stuff, are you going to go see any of these festival shows that they're, they've got on the books for the rest of the year? Yeah. Um, you know, we're planning on hopefully making it down to uh, Rockville and Daytona, mm-hmm. um, where they've got the couple nights of unique sets of this whole uh, COVID thing sort of throwing a wrench and all that, especially yeah. with little kids. But yep. um, yeah, we've sort of got that, that in our sights. Um, I'm really hoping that we can pull that off because that's going to be epic as well. But, uh, but no Atlanta, no Louisville. Louisville, Daytona's kind of the one where we're focused on potentially yeah. Louisville. That one might be just a little bit too soon here. Um, yeah. Hoping things sort of settle down a little bit and then can make make a go out of the go out of Daytona. Yeah, we're having we're having stuff happen with our school where they're starting to send kids home, you know, to quarantine. Which we we did. I, I, your kids, I guess, are well. Maybe your son is old enough. Did you guys we'll do school last kindergarten year? this year? We did school. We did daycare, and thankfully. There was only one time where we had a little bit of a shutdown, but um, yeah, this year he's started kindergarten, and um, I just was last year so thankful that we didn't have at home virtual kindergarten. Yeah. But I know that this year, I don't know. I'm not looking forward to that if that happens yeah, for yeah. sure. But you know, maybe we'll just do a little Metallica school with him, and I'll just I can do my own little, little curriculum. <laughs> Sure, you're like I got it, everybody. Don't worry, we'll we'll take care of it. We're gonna start with kill them all. Uh, what do you What are your thoughts about um, the new album? You know, we don't have a lot of insider info about it. We just know that they were pretty productive during the downtime. And you have any ideas of speculation about what it might be like, what it might sound like? I mean, is it possible that it's as good as, if not better, than Hardwired? Um, I think they always surprise everyone. Whatever they come up with. Um, Lulu, I think, was pretty epic. <laughs> um, and so so I'm excited for whatever they came up with. I'm sure it'll be extra creative and in a different way in its own, own COVID sense. Yeah, I, I can't wait, wait to hear it. I think we're going to be up there with Morgan Wade at First Avenue in mid-October. So, you know, we're hoping to we can say hi to a lot of Metal Up Your Podcast family while we're there. And yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. That place has a lot of history, too. I remember when they played their show, Metallica played their show at target center just like literally right across the street from it they put up some of their old photos of them at first avenue um yeah. back in the 80s but yeah that's that's got a lot of history there that's cool you get to play there well dude thank you for taking the time and, and hopping on this call i know you're kind of taking care of your kiddos too and it was a pleasure to meet you and and talk to you hear your story and uh i, I especially was interested in the baseball stuff man that's really cool what a what a fun facet to it i appreciate it yeah it, it was it was fun yeah it's awesome to talk to you and I look forward to seeing you guys up here in mid-October, hopefully. Hey everyone, Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. 
Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slang Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. <laughs>